there, there's many ways that you can grow. Like you can expand within the total market. You can really um, build products just for a particular income bracket, which is something clearly I didn't want to do. I wanted to build for a larger audience and have a bigger impact. But I mean, we did find the sweet spot of people that were willing to pay. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian Evans. This next individual that we have on just had a recent exit. We're so excited about having her on. Now, prior to what she just recently had an exit, she spent nearly a decade in various roles at Airbnb, Google, and eBay. She led product partnerships, business operations, and strategy teams in the U.S. and so many different places. She is a current entrepreneur, and she was the CEO and the co-founder of Expectful, a holistic wellness app for hopeful, expecting, and new parents. In her first 90 days in this role, she pivoted the company and raised $4.2 million in seed route. And she did it in a way that we're going to be talking about here shortly. So stay tuned with that. She is a big supporter of over half a million women on their journey to motherhood through their mobile app, which has over 3,000 five-star ratings in their app store. She also led the team and cultivate an incredible following base on our IG community of 175,000. Also amazing, amazing, incredible followers, over 65 press missions in 2022, including features in Forbes, TechCrunch, Vogue, and Goop. And she just recent just had an exit now, and we're so excited about this, of course, from Expectful to now Babylist just acquired this company. Please welcome my next guest, the one and only CEO and the founder, Natalie Walton. How are you doing today, Natalie? Hello, I'm so excited to be here with you today. Well, I'm really excited about having this conversation and I want to dive into this before we dive into all what the the scale of Expectful and and everything like that and what you've been able to establish there and the pivot. I want to talk a little bit about your most recent acquisition here and you you quote on this and I thought this was really, really powerful. This acquisition and this is the, the, the mindset that you have. This acquisition allows us to make make a much bigger impact than if we were to stay focused on revenue. You, you go on and say, women need our products and they need our solution now. We don't have time to wait to go to the route of let's just keep on growing revenue and, ha- and have an IPO. It was more like let's prioritize impact and I don't think enough startups are thinking that way. And I just thought that was really interesting because that's the reason why you said, you know what, by leveraging BabyList, their resources, their capability, their reach, that was the – it was more of an impact focus. Natalie, I love that approach. When did that kind of come? Was that always that approach when you were thinking at it as an exit? Or where, where did that come from, that, 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 that idea? Yeah, so that's a great question. That idea came up I, throughout my journey as the CEO of Expectful. So in my role, as most founders should, you speak to a lot of users. And um, I think that, so I came on board in um, September of 2020. And in uh, 2020 and 2021, I spoke with, well, hundreds of users and, and also people that had downloaded Expectful and didn't necessarily, that used it, but didn't sign up for a subscription. And in those conversations, what I really realized was if you look at the entire pregnancy market, um, I realized that about 42%, in some states, more than half of the women that give birth are on Medicaid. Um, and when I really talk to users, there are a lot of people that have, um, our product is to help, um, mental well-being uh, of, of, of parents and, and in your pregnancy journey. And almost everyone is struggling, their mental health is struggling. 
But what I discovered was that the people that need our help the most really couldn't afford it. So I'd have conversations with people who would say, I loved using your app. I, um, you know, I just can't pay $7 a month to use it because I'm between putting groceries on the table or getting gas this month. And the more that that kind of conversation came up, the more I realized is, you know, there's a just a zero safety net for so many births in the U.S. And I just didn't even feel good about charging for this one. Like here I was creating something that was helping people, but could um, really have a dramatic benefit. And just with, I think, 2022 and uh, the overturn of Roe v. Wade and everything that is going on for women, or I should say the lack of what's going on to support women, it's just so evident that um, our support is needed more than ever. And I wanted to find a way that we could bring Expectful to more people at a lower cost. You know, and what was interesting, when you made that pivot, you go on and talk about how you did it, raise the $4.2 million and really, you know, scale from there on out. But you did it in a in an unorthodox way, but I found that very powerful. You you leveraged the power of your own story. If you could maybe just kind of share a little bit about that and why that was so important in the uh, expectful kind of evolutions journey. Yeah. So um, I, just to take a step back. So I joined in. I was I was an advisor to expectful um, in the spring of 2020. I had my son in uh, right at the end of 2019, and I used expectful when I was pregnant. Um, and I had, I had a really difficult pregnancy where I didn't think I would make it to term. In fact, I was told I wouldn't make it to term. And shortly after using Expectful, my pregnancy stabilized and I made it to term, which was something I didn't think was possible. We actually have research now that shows why that happened. Um, but so I had this great experience with Expectful and, um, I became an advisor and then, um, was asked to become the CEO, late stage co-founder. And I think for me, it's just, I, I was leaving a very tr safe, traditional career, like a, a, something, a career that I loved in tech, but if I was going to do this, if I was going to take this kind of a risk in my career, I was going to do it for a purpose. Um, and it was my experience um, in pregnancy, my experience as a black woman in pregnancy, I wanted to make a difference and I wasn't just doing this. Uh, I had a mission behind me and it was really critical that people, particularly investors, but everyone more broadly understood the problem that we have and how we need a solution. And here was, you know, how I thought about solving the problem of supporting women throughout their um, pregnancy and motherhood journey. When you were developing and integrating your story into uh, Expectful's, you know, kind of brand, if you will, um, I'm just curious because that, that that human touch to it, I think a lot of businesses, a lot of startups, a lot of founders, they're always kind of like, they're not too sure if they want to add their own, if they want to have an exit or sell it. And you did that where you leveraged your story. It was very that human touch, but it really made an impact in these, in, uh, these women's lives. Um, I'm curious, how were you? How did you approach that specifically, where you had Expectful as itself, as, as, as its brand, but you leveraged your story, but also others in the integration of the of the marketing and building that amazing synergistic community? 
Yeah, I mean, to be totally frank, it was a little bit, um, at first it was a bit scary. Um, I mean, I, I, I am a, a private person, um, and I, I don't necessarily, at the time, I suppose, I didn't like sharing my story. But the more, I think as a leader, the more that you feel passionate about the problem that you're solving, um, it's almost impossible not to share your story. Um, because people just don't understand the problem unless you share, it, 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 unless you share like what happened on a human level. And um, I think when I share a story of like I am Stanford educated and how um, I'd go to the doctor's office and would just be completely dismissed by um, my doctors um, uh, because because of my race and and people that know me and they got to know me would be like, what really that's happening or that. I mean, here's a statistic that um, black women are more likely to die. Black women in a graduate degree are more likely to die in childbirth than white women with an eighth grade degree. Um, and so, like, I think when you put a face to the story and the problem that you're trying to sol solve, it just it communicates it so much more clearly and it gets people behind you. And this is a problem that I felt needed to be solved. And so I was willing to leverage and, and share my story so people could get it. How's that make you feel now where, like you mentioned, it wasn't this comfort, you're, you're not that like, you know, uh, external extroverted kind of individual where you want to share all this stuff, but you did it because it was uncomfortable, but you also wanted to share the impact for other individuals and other women. Now looking back on it, how's that make you feel to see, oh my gosh, look how much impact this has been able to make, you know, the organization as well as your story and other women's lives. Uh, I'm really, it's something that I'm really happy that I, I did. I think w women reach out to me quite often and, and tell me how, um, either my entrepreneurial journey has inspired them or how the product has inspired them. And I think that we're in a time and place right now where we need to change the culture, where we need to be more open um, and and um, frank about our, our personal journeys. And I think that the more dialogue that you have about what you've been through, whether that's as an entrepreneur, whether that's as a mother, um, as a person of color, whatever you are, I, it opens up doors. And I've seen the power of vulnerability and how it levels the playing field for so many people. So. Even while it was initially uncomfortable, I, I don't have any regrets about it. And if my story can help someone else, and it has helped many other people, I think it's worth the discomfort. I want to I want to mention to our audience real quick. This was a very very incredible scale of a company, and um, because you you joined, you left corporate world in 2020 to join Expectful as the co-founder mm -hmm. and CEO, and then obviously now it's 2023. Uh, this uh, as to date this January 27th, and what was interesting is you had incredible scale growth. And a lot of this, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, I mentioned obviously on the front end here, you had almost 65 news features, okay, which helped to build that expo explosive brand and just, you know, featuring you and so forth. Natalie, outside of that, what other things do you feel like is, was, the, was the catalyst to help you grow and scale at the high level that you had? Yeah, so I'd say one, and, and we're li we're living in really interesting times in terms of acquiring users. But we have we've built a really fantastic social media presence. So 
on Instagram, we have 175,000 followers and people reach out to us all the time to let us know like how authentic our Instagram feed is and our messaging. So in pregnancy, a lot of pregnancy, it's it looks very uh, unrealistic. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> it looks unrealistic. It looks like it's bliss and they don't talk about the realities of like, actually, this is really hard. Um, and we show, we show the stretch marks. Um, we show the messy hair, the, the hair that's falling out in postpartum and, and we're just vulnerable and we're real and we show it like it is. And that was something that really didn't exist at the time. And so we built that connection with our users through social and, and that, and also, so I say that that was one lever, but also really meeting our customers where they are. Um, and, and I, it was really through our content creation of like creating content that didn't exist for our users. And we created content that people were hungry for and most of our growth was actually organic. It was people would tell their doulas would, would tell their, their doulas would tell their clients about it. And, and the mother community is a very word of mouth community. And so I'd say it was a combination of our social and just really organic growth. And this is interesting in, in regards to what you just mentioned, authenticity and vulnerability. Um, and you mentioned a few strategies where where that that's what that looked like, right? Having that conversation because it is in today's culture, everything is just that pretty little thing. Hey, we're going to the beach, we're going to Bahamas, and this is what you know, uh, you know, pregnancy looks like, and taking your little, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, pictures, etc., out in the out in the forest or whatever you do. Um, Natalie, when, when you have that authenticity, what does that mean in your community? When you show up authentically, vulnerability, how, what does that mean to you and, and, and to your ecosystem and the community you built? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, it really is. Um, because it's, there's, uh, for me, there's, there was no experience like pregnancy and motherhood. And then to create this opening, we, um, for, uh, most we have we had this uh, feature called live events where people could attend live events in our app and we would have members join from all over the world and um like we had we had um, live events for people that had miscarriage we had womb healing events um and like imagine if, if you've just lost your child maybe even late in pregnancy and you have this space where you can talk about it um it's, it's like that, that is a, I mean, it's a, a devastating thing to go through, but it's beautiful that there's now a community where you can connect with people and not feel bad about it. And I think that the thing, what I love most about this is no one goes through life, uh, like no one's experiences are that unique to themselves. There's probably someone else that is going through that. And by being authentic, you invite others that are going through that and you create this beautiful space to help people feel more normal, more alive, more seen. Um, and that's a really awesome thing. When you, and you mentioned you had like a lot of different verticals, um, different live events, different kind of communities, even within that, uh, for just like different situations everybody's going through. Um, what was that? I'm just on, on, on the business structure. What was that feedback loop look like? Like, did you start out with a few communities and then you started getting a feedback loop? Like, oh, let's add some more micro communities uh, within that that were very, very resourceful for whatever those individuals were going through. What did that look like? 
Yeah, for mine, it doesn't look like that they're micro communities, but I can see how someone would think that. So I, we started with pregnancy, but um, I think the more, I mean, they're, they're adjacent communities. Um, unfortunately, people that are in pregnancy, you know, sometimes they go through loss and that was user feedback that it's like, hey, I've gone through this and they have this visceral reaction of using our app and or not not wanting to use it because if, if they lost their child, obviously they don't want it. No one wants to be reminded that they were pregnant, but if they have a space where they can go, um, and, and I think we do a great job in our app of saying, marking, if, if you've lost your, your child, you will only see something that is unique to healing. Um, and then also, I mean, the feedback comes that like, it may be people that have used it um, and they're having a tough difficulty conceiving again. And so the problems are related and we evolve to have a lifetime from like trying to conceive through that motherhood journey of being there to support them because we see the users stay with us. They're the same people and we just meet them where they are. And um, like kudos to our tech team. We have uh, this, these incredible engineers. It's a company called Tapforce, and they they did a really great job building a product so that when you're in a particular stage, you don't see what is in another stage. So, like, if you're trying to conceive, you might actually not even realize that we are a pregnancy motherhood company. Um, and that's because if you're trying to conceive and you're really struggling, you don't want to be reminded of pregnancy. And, and so there's a lot of sensitivities, but we've built our technology in a way to really respect those boundaries. I like what you said, adjacent communities. And I think that's really cool that you guys are really adjust that to whatever that circumstance or that individual that is going through that, that woman that's going through that, uh, and, and what stage, like you mentioned as well. Now, I'm curious on regards to, uh, you, you had the authenticity, the vulnerability. When you were building this out even further, um, I, I would love to just maybe share like a few case studies, uh, and you don't have to share the names or whatever, but maybe certain circumstances, like you mentioned, uh, where, where they maybe lost a child, but having this amazing community uh, to be able to help them walk through that, that healing process, or maybe someone that had a really successful uh, pregnancy, whatever it was, like whatever the circumstances, and just uh, the serendipitous moments, I guess, of, of this, this amazing, um, you know, amazing, amazing movement. Yeah, I... I remember, I mean, I have a lot of user calls, but there, I think one of the most meaningful calls or cases that I've ever come across was I, I met with a woman who had just given birth and she was a victim of domestic abuse um, during pregnancy. And um, she said that Expectful was really the only thing that got her through expect was through pregnancy was... Um, our meditations in our community and something like that breaks my heart to hear that anyone goes through that and I'm just happy that we created a tool that can help someone who has just being abused when you're I mean being abused at all but in, when you're carrying someone else's child um, it was really hard um, and so I mean there, there are stories that are tough like that but um, I mean also glorious stories of um, people that have had difficulty conceiving. And then we, ha we have these meditations that are um, cycle meditations, or we also have IVF meditations for people going through IVF. Um, and, and people that really believe that starting the meditations helped them conceive. So there's a whole spectrum of cases where we've helped people, but it's on a really human level. 
And um, that is something that uh, really inspired me throughout my time leading the company. You know, I think that's what is so fun about like entrepreneurship and, and the capitalist markets. It's like being able to really see and, and, and yeah, you make money. Yeah, but you also really make an impact on these people and you're able to bring these people synergistically together uh, that, that are going through that. And you and I know that there are more people out there that are going through those circumstances. So I just think it's so cool what you built. Uh, I want to ask regards to when you were um, when you were building this out, um, you mentioned this in your LinkedIn uh, post recently. Throughout my entire career, as I scaled the ranks of tech world, I was told to be more patient or to wait my turn for opportunities I knew I was capable of. And that was prior before you went into the you know, co-founder and CEO. And that, that was something maybe it was a mindset or something you had to struggle with. I'm just curious, during this journey in the, uh, in, the, in the entrepreneur world, how did you come to grips with that? Was that more of like maybe just like, you know, in your mindset? Uh, the paradigm shift that you had to adjust and, and maybe the, 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 the negative thoughts that were kind of seeping in. Did you ever ever have that? Did you struggle with that? Or what did that look like in that journey? I think from the moment that I decided, part of what made me decide to become an entrepreneur was I had a couple of conversations. Um, Expectful had some initial seed investors or pre-seed investors. And... And I also spoke with my community. I spoke with my friends um, and, and other people in the venture capital and entrepreneurial space. And I was telling them, like, I'm considering this opportunity. What do you think? Before I even joined, the willingness of people to help me make that decision um, and, and assess it was more generous than I had ever received in my entire career. And I thought, wow, like, the willingness to help me here is... There's something, there's something that's different here. And so my experience as an entrepreneur actually has been beautiful in the sense that I feel like everyone has been trying to help me. Um, and I haven't really faced, I mean, I, I faced obstacles. I'm not gonna say that this was, a, was an easy thing. It was, it was the most difficult thing I've ever done. But the number of people they were willing to go out on a limb and, and help me get to where I did today it was just something that does not exist in the corporate world. And that is the coolest thing about entrepreneurship. So we, was that intentional, do you feel like, or was that like almost sometimes the serendipitous of just the entrepreneurial journey where they were just, you know, you could see people just going out of their way to add value and help and, you know, in, in any way that you, or what, what did that, how did you build that? intentionally to ensure that of course you had the right people that were really feeding into you in the right uh, in the right aspect i believe that if you're building a mission-driven company and um, people authentically believe that you care about this that they want to help you make a difference and so i was able to incur like recruit a lot of amazing investors that wanted to see us solve this problem um and then I think so that so that's one is just like having people that believe in what you're doing and, and know the problem and understand it and they all make connections to people for you and then you leverage those um, and so I, I think it really has to do with uh, building a mission driven company um, so, so maybe if I were um, trying to I, I don't know what is the is like a, a web3 company uh, maybe 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 it wouldn't get or a crypto company like maybe I wouldn't get the same reception 
or maybe I would, um, you know, maybe people really would want to see me succeed, but I, I felt that people believed in my mission of supporting women so much that they wanted to be behind it. Yeah, I've heard this numerous times from founders where they say they're very stringent. Uh, as much as the investor is, you know, like going through like, you know, uh, the background of the founder, the founder is vice versa with the investors because they don't need every investor. They don't want just a check. They want someone that's believe it and the deep rooted passion behind that uh, thesis, which is really incredible. I was curious on this just on a business structure a little bit. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier in this interview here where some of your most of your audience, they were individuals that couldn't really afford the platform. So um, but also at the end of the day, you know, you, you do want to build a business, you want to monetize it, you want to make sure you're scaling. Um, how did you balance that a little bit for your investors, but also to help, you know, the company itself grow? Majority of your client base, they love it, the, the, the base of it, but maybe they just couldn't be able to afford that. How did you solve that? I was just curious on that. I would say that if, if I'm looking at it, if I'm looking at the total market, the total market of pregnancies was is probably not able to afford it, but our customers certainly could afford it, and they could. I mean, a lot of the feedback that I got was, "This is, I get all of this for." Um, I think our our monthly membership was sixty dollars, or at one point it, it was eighty dollars a month, and so I think that we found this sweet spot of, you know, who are the people that are able to pay for it. Um, and and charge them appropriately. But if you want to continue to grow, and you know, there, there's many ways that you can grow. Like you can expand within the total market. You can really um, build products just for a particular income bracket, which is something clearly I didn't want to do. I wanted to build for a larger audience and have a bigger impact. But I mean, we did find the sweet spot of people that were willing to pay. Um, but I guess back, getting back to like why I wanted to sell and partner with Babyless was I saw the need for a much bigger mission and a much bigger impact, and um, I, I saw this acquisition as a way to achieve that. Yeah, and so let's let's talk about this because you know at the end of the day you do want these individuals, uh, you know, structurally in your business as, as a lifetime value, right? Um, and I want to ask, like, how did you, you kind of overcome that? Because at the end of the day, you know, you have maybe 12, 13 months of, of you know, uh, pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, and then also post-pregnancy and so forth. Um, how did you keep them engaged to ensure that you're obviously still adding value even afterwards, maybe child care or child raising, et cetera? What did that look like? I was just curious. Yeah, so I mean, I, I can't share the exact number of users that we retained, but here's really how, I mean, we had, we have annual or, and we have monthly subscriptions and people saw so much value in our annual membership that they would subscribe to our annual membership and, and a lot of those people renewed. Um, so I think, you know, thinking about how you structure memberships is, is one way to think about capturing revenue, then you get the revenue up front. Um, but also, I mean, getting back to the adjacent communities is having content for um, that postpartum period. I mean, I think some of our best content is in the postpartum um, motherhood journey. We have content of like how to return to work. We have breastfeeding courses. Um, we have a, a hundred a first hundred days of postpartum and like stroller meditations, nursing meditations, and in fact. We had a research study that was published last year that showed that using expectful 
Mothers that were pumping in the NICU and used Expectable created seven more ounces of breast milk a day. And if anyone knows breast milk, like that's a whole nother bottle. That is that is gold. Um, and so uh, we, we created value also through our content and just knowing what our users needed to extend their journey. That's incredible. I mean, you were getting so micro with that. You knew every aspect. You know what they were going through. You know the, on, on the back end as well, uh, and really uh, establishing a lot of like scientific data as well uh, throughout this this whole process. Um, so that, that that makes sense in regards to that. Now I'm curious. I want to talk a little bit about the vision of you know this acquisition. This just recently came down the pipeline. Very excited for you. Uh, we were talking offline. I know we can't dive in too much of it, but I want to talk about the vision uh, because, like you mentioned, and we started off with this, you, you did this because you saw that this could expedite the impact and the vision of what what you know the momentum that you guys already have and the tailwind. Just just break it down for me. Break it down for our audience, the, the, the excitement behind it, the momentum you've got, and what that looks like. Yeah, so, I, I mean, Babylist is an incredible company. I used Babylist for my baby registry back in 2019, but I personally really see that. I mean, they, they're the dominant in this in the baby um, industry, and, uh, I mean, I believe that they serve seven and a half million users a month. Um, on a monthly basis. And when I just think about the scale that Babylist has, I wanted to partner with a brand that touched all of, of, of pregnancy and all of the parents. And um, that was something that, that I wanted in a partner, was someone that I could see that, you know, had that relationship so that Expectful could support and really destigmatize um, everything that we've been talking about. Destigmatize mental health and your well-being in, in, uh, on this journey. And so I saw that Expectful would be a great complement um, to Babylist. And the gift to babe, from Babylist to Expectful would be the broad audience. And so, um, I mean, Babylist has always stood to support um, parents throughout their journey and we're now offering another type of support in terms of mental well-being when you were when you're going through this journey and and the women that are part of expectful you know ecosystem and community you you mentioned this numerous times where it's like culturally whereas there's there's certain stigma uh stigma uh stigma um where we're stigmatized a little bit in regards to kind of some some you know uh, uh situations whatever it is I'm curious, how do you feel like Expectful and Babylist have been able to destigmatize that? Uh, whether that's building synergistic, you know, uh, adjacent communities, or whether that's just maybe more education to the whole, right? Uh, individuals that may not ever be pregnant, like men, etc. So, what 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 did that look like? I think that both of our brands do an excellent job of doing that through content. Um, Babylist, I mean, is an incredible content hub um, where they go far beyond, you know, product content, but also content for parents. And so I think it's through that content and that education, that is how you destigmatize it. Um, I mean, I am always, I'm scrolling through my feed. I, I have on Instagram, I, I follow a lot of baby brands <laughs> as I, I probably have to for my job, but I, I see baby list their social media feed on Instagram. Like it shows those videos of like, yeah, this is, 
you know, this is what the reality looks like and as does expectful. And so by creating content that it's doesn't gloss, it's, it's like coming from a big sister or like your friend who knows you and wants the best for you. Um, it, it's like built that brand voice is a really strong and supportive. And I think that that is how you destigmatize it is through your content and the conversations that you have. And that, that authenticity, vulnerability, like you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation as well. When we're um, now looking back at this whole journey, um, and, and it is, like you mentioned, it was, you had to wear a thousand hats. There was a lot that was going on. What were some of the most impactful things that you learned, whether that's business, whether that's just more of that storytelling, that communication, that the community, things that you learned that kind of cut you off guard that you were maybe unaware of when you first started. I know there's probably a lot of things you learned, but like maybe a few of those pivotal things that really set you off. Yeah. So I mean, I, um, one, I think the first one is, is really developing that muscle to talk to users. Um, I know that, you know, maybe, maybe this is an obvious one, but it really wasn't so obvious to me coming on board. Um, I, I think that for, probably through like, I mean, even as your company becomes, goes through IPO, like you should be talking to your customers on such a frequent level and knowing what gets, you know, what, what gets them to excited and what their concerns are. And so for me, like building a culture of having that constant user feedback loop was really important. One of the things that we built at Expectful, or we didn't build it, but there, there are certain APIs that you can take your Apple Store reviews and you can um, just have them incorporated in Slack. So anytime we'd get a review, like we'd see like, oh, you know, there, there were weeks where we would just get five-star review after five-star review and they would say like, this is why I like it. And then, then maybe we'd get like a, a two-star review or something and, and it would set off alarm bells and be like, well, you know, what, what can we do differently? And so, it, I mean, that's one way of talking to customers, but really just, I had a Calendly like where like people could, you know, drop into my calendar um, and, and, uh, and, and I would chat with them and it was just so informative of like how I thought about business. So I'd say that that's number one is, is I really, again, like I was a private person before I didn't really understand the importance of that, but I, even if it made me feel uncomfortable, like you have to do that as, as a, a leader. Um, so I say that's the number one. And then I, I took, um, a couple of courses with Reforge, um, which is, uh, it's, it's, I, an online, I guess you could say, program, uh, not programming school, but an online school that really teaches a lot of courses around growth. I think understanding um, viral growth loops and like product loops is something that I would encourage any founder, someone that's starting to, starting out on their entrepreneurial journey. I, a lot of founders pitch to me their ideas and like th their ideas are that they're just, honestly selling a product. And I, I think if people don't understand how you're going to have like a viral loop and what I mean is like you sell this product, but then that product itself gets recommended to someone else. Um, and and it, it's, it's like a viral marketing channel. It, it, I guess I would say really question like, what are you doing? Um, I think that moving forward, one of 
founders are really going to have to ask themselves if they don't have, particularly in the, the consumer space, I think it's a little bit different in the B2B space, but in this world, in this post iOS 14.5 world, if you don't have like a customer acquisition mindset, I would, I would say like hold your horses and figure this out. Um, because that was something I had to learn on the fly <laughs> and, and it was, it was hard when I started because I started before iOS 14.5, but I had to learn this after iOS um, 14.5 came out. And that is like, th that, th I think that's one of the most critical skills that you need to have in today's day and age to be completely frank. When you were when you were having these customer feedback loops, um, and I've, I've, I'm a big believer in that, having a conversation with your customer, really asking those right questions. Natalie, what what questions were you asking? What what data were you getting, and how did you interpret that data to say, okay, hey, this is where we need to do this. Is what we need to spend our time on. This is what I'm noticing the most. What did that look like? I'd say that the most important thing wasn't necessarily what I was asking. It was who I was asking. So oftentimes, I think. People talk to their customers like, what, what did you buy this? Or like, what do you like about it? I had those conversations, but I segmented my list and who are the people that tried Expectable? Who are power users? Then like, who are our users that download the app and like use it infrequently? Why do they use it infrequently? Who are the people that signed up for a free trial? and never used it again or like who are the people that signed it use a free trial a lot and then didn't subscribe and by segmenting that it helped me really create like pull on the right levers to have the biggest impact um because i was able to look at our funnel and, and see like if, if i can fix this problem i will be able to move the needle by y amount um and so i mean honestly it was those conversations with people that use the app in our free trial and didn't buy that helped me think about this acquisition strategy because it caused me to have more conversations with people in the industry um, to understand like what is really going on with resources and support that's what helped me understand that half of pregnancies in the u.s are on medicaid um and and like that the situation is is quite dire for a lot of women and so i'd say that those the segmentation of the users was really pivotal in, in you know where we are today and where we're going. So with that being said, and this is what I find so interesting about this, because you know, like you mentioned, you you gather this data and you implement this. Were there's because uh, I'm always intrigued with when they when they there's so many different like adjacent communities, so much information, so many resources. I've seen some ecosystems almost bombard too much too quickly, and so I'm curious the streamlined onboarding process, if you will, for that user, so that it was like did they do a questionnaire so that obviously the algorithm would adjust that content according to what they were looking for, or how to ensure that of course you know there were certain steps that they would follow to ensure that hey you know what we're not bombarding with so many resources because I Obviously, you guys have incredible amount of data, incredible amount of community, incredible amount of energy, so forth. However, though, there's also uh, you don't want to over over bombard that user because um, from from bad experience, etc. So, what was that process look like? So, I mean, we do have an app and we have a web presence, but I would say our most of our users use us on the app and and that is where you build a solid online funnel um, onboarding funnel and i 
as a leader spend so much time with that onboarding funnel and just A-B testing various, uh, I mean, that's where we, we learn was from our onboarding funnel. And so uh, it's something that anyone actually now, you, you could uh, go through it um, today if you just go download Expectful um, in the App Store. But we ask you where you are in your, your journey. Are you trying to conceive? Um, are you pregnant? And if so, what is your due date? Um, or are you in motherhood? If so, then what is your child's birthday? And by getting that information, we're able to put you exactly where you need to go. Um, and you only see content in that stage. And then the app will grow with you as you progress. So let's say you are in your first trimester, you're actually only going to see content that's like specific to first trimester. We're not going to um, bombard you with like birth and delivery prep. We're going to talk about morning sickness and like getting to know your baby and how does it feel when you can't share that you're, or I mean, you can share, but if you, if you choose not to share that you're, you're pregnant, like how does that, how do those initial days of pregnancy feel like? And we just, we have like week by week content and you just see what's applicable to you. And then when you go into the second trimester, you see that and, and so forth. And so like, you know, that's, that's kind of how we maintain that relationship with the user through all of their adjacent journeys is through having that date. Um, and we only serve what's relevant. And I think this is such an important part. I appreciate you kind of unpacking that and building that out because I see, uh, I literally just the other day I was in a, in a sales presentation and the, the individual did not align his, his presentation toward what I, my, my goal was for using the product, et cetera. And I found that so interesting. It was like, yes, it's the, the tool's amazing. It can do a lot, but what a, you know, it's not aligning to what I'm looking for. And of course I didn't buy it because it, you didn't align it to what I was looking for. And again, that's why I see a lot of, uh, I think that's what it's just an important part of how you were able to bring that customer from the point to making sure, Hey, we get the right information in front of it because there's tons, but we want to make sure the right information at the right time. And I think this is, um, there's, there's always ways to optimize that even higher, right? Just constantly just adjusting, making the questionnaire even more micro, whatever it is to, uh, and, and, uh, the, the funnel process. So I appreciate you kind of emphasizing that. Uh, Natalie, I really appreciate you being on here, uh, just talking about kind of what's going on. I want to dive in before we let you go. I know we talked about the business, the vision. I want to talk a little bit about personal. Um, you mentioned this a little bit. Um, I don't want to, you know, hone on it too much uh, because I do know it's, you know, a very hot topic. But with, you know, and you mentioned this, and that's why I'm bringing this up, Roe versus Wade coming down, obviously, in that whole circumstance and situation, and now building this more ecosystem and more more wellness around mental health, right, specifically for those that are going through this uh, um, uh, pregnancy, et cetera. Um, how do you feel like that is a positive or a negative, or is it kind of perfect timing, or just the, 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 the lay of the land and getting a heartbeat of where women are at right now holistically in regards to like just a lot of changes uh, that are in the industry right now. Yeah. I mean, my, these are my personal opinions, but I mean, I, I think that women are in a really bad state right now. <laughs> it's, it's really unfortunate. I think women's rights are being taken away from them. But I think what is even more disturbing is just the lack of support for women and families. Um, the lack of paid leave is, is a serious problem. I think that that's what is contributing to um, the mental health crisis that so many parents are facing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's so many stats that I've, I've read in the numbers. I, I've seen anywhere from 40 to 70% of um, pregnant and 
um, postpartum moms face anxiety. And, and that's because there just really aren't a lot of resources. I mean, I can speak to it personally where like, I do have the support, like I, I, I have a supportive family, I have a job um, and I had a paid leave um, and it's still really difficult. And so I think just to imagine a world where it's like, you can't even take a week off um, because you're worried about like feeding your family that's an awful place to be. And now a lot of those people are told that that doesn't matter. You, you still have to have a child anyway and bring that child into the world. Um, so I, I think that we're in a tough state. I think that there are a lot of people, innovators that are coming to the rescue. Um, but I, I, th I think what I, I've learned in my experience in Expectful is, is that a lot of it, it's not just the entrepreneurs, it, a lot of it needs to be policy. Like we need policy that is going to support um, families. I mean, there's no reason why we shouldn't have a paid uh, leave policy um, in in the U.S. And so I, I think like steps like that and policy changes to support our ecosystem would um, those would be our probably the biggest levers that we could um, change at this very moment. That's exciting. I just wanted to, share, you know, ask you on that because I do know that we talked offline a little bit briefly about the passion behind that, and just to kind of reiterate that, I think there are some interesting things that are positive and negative, but also bringing bring awareness to this because that's how we do change. That's how we make the impact. And you've already made a huge impact in the women's lives uh, that you have and that are going through this uh, in all different circumstances. And that's why I think it's just so such a interesting and fun thing. But also, of course, talking business structure, you know, having a, a successful exit and, and leveraging and working with a company uh, that, that will, you know, expedite that impact at a high level. Natalie, I really appreciate you being on here. Um, for those that maybe want to reach out to you, maybe you know, join uh, Expectful and, and get access to that um, and, and maybe share it with their ecosystem. How do they do that? Or maybe reach out to you. You've been interviewed and been featured in a lot of different places. So how do they communicate, engage with you? Yeah, absolutely. So if you are interested in downloading Expectful, I highly encourage you to do that. Um, we are at, at Expectful on Instagram, but we're in all of the app stores and you should just download our app. Um, if you want to follow me personally, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, my name has an H in it, so it's Natalie, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E, Walton, W-A-L-T-O-N, at Instagram, or you can find me on LinkedIn, um, and I would love to connect with you. Awesome. And guys, those links will be in the description. I'll put all the links down there as well as your LinkedIn. Uh, so it's very accessible. And uh, Natalie, again, I really appreciate being on. Um, I always love to ask my guests, before I let you go, is there any last words of wisdom they'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I, I'd say that my last um, word of wisdom, it's its one of my favorite quotes. I guess it's Wayne Gretzky. It's, it's just you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And so for any entrepreneur, I mean, I or anyone that's contemplating, I think this kind of goes back to a lot of our conversation. It's like, if you're afraid to share your story, you don't know what impact that that might have. If you're afraid to become an entrepreneur, you don't know what would happen if you do that. And so you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So I encourage you to take them all. So exciting. So exciting. Well said. That is the co-founder of Expectful, my friend, Natalie Walton. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast. Until next time, be in common if you can.